And it's good to be back and uh, glad you can be with us. And those of you who are here, those of you who are at home online and glad that you can join us too. And uh, as Myra mentioned, I had taken some time off uh, over the course of July. This has been, the, I think, the second year I've done that and just taking some time to, to still be around but not preach. And um, it gives me a, thanks for the opportunity to do that. It gives me a chance to refresh to kind of regroup, to think ahead to the coming ministry year, uh, to plan out uh, where we're heading in terms of messages and, and strategy and all that good stuff. And so it was a profitable time, so thank you. And I'm excited uh, for what the Lord has for us going forward. I wonder, have you ever uh, been to or seen a vineyard? Uh, maybe some of you have. I, you know, the first time I think I was ever at a vineyard, uh, was when I was in India for the first time about 15 years ago. And when I think of a vineyard, I think of something kind of like this, you know, uh, just big clusters of grapes, you know, people sipping wine with their pinky out, uh, just, you know, really good stuff, relaxing, uh, all that sort of stuff. But, but it was interesting. The place that the conference was at that I was teaching and doing training at in India, um, outside, just in the field, right next to it was a vineyard. Except that vineyard didn't look anything like this. It actually looked kind of like this. Only uh, it was worse than this. Because actually, if, if you could cut all of these vines off about a foot from the ground, that would be the vineyard outside of this little conference center in rural India. And I remember thinking, they must not want their grapes anymore. What are they going to do? I mean, they're all dead. Somebody sabotaged their vineyard. That's what happened. And then somebody explained to me, though, that that's not really the case. Because in my head, I thought, well, a vineyard should really look like this. But they said, well, Josh, what happens though, is after the grapes are harvested, I had to go to India to learn this. Some of you already know it. After the grapes are harvested, uh, the vine dresser comes along and he prunes the vine. And he cuts off everything that's dead and throws it out. And he cuts even the branches back that were really fruitful, especially those, so that in the coming year they might be more fruitful. And in the end, by the time he's done, as it heads into the dormant season, it looks a little more like this picture. Now, you may have known that, but I didn't realize that. You know, eventually then they'll breathe new life, but in the moment it looks like everything is gone. Did you know Jesus compares his church, he compares you and I, to a vineyard, he uses that same analogy for us. In fact, as you're looking at this picture of this pruning, just listen as I read to you from John chapter 15. Jesus said this, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. He goes on in verse four, he says, abide in me then and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, Jesus said, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, uh, you can do, what is the fill in there? Nothing. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. If anyone, in fact, he says in verse 6, does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, 
and they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. You know, Jesus says this the night before he was betrayed and crucified the next day. I would imagine he probably has Judas in mind as he teaches these things to his disciples, who didn't have fruit in his life, who eventually betrayed Jesus and was cast away. You know, what's Jesus saying in that passage? What's he saying? Here's what he's saying, that if you're really a Christian, if you've really trusted Jesus Christ, there's going to be fruit in your life. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be some evidence of it. In fact, he goes on uh, a couple verses later in verse 8. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What's the proof that you're a follower of Jesus? It's not that you come to church. It's not that you watch online. It's not that you sing or that you raise your hands or that you're excited or, or anything like that or even that you serve, or even that you get up and preach a sermon. You know, you know what the evidence is that you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus? Fruit in your life. The fruit in your life, that's the evidence. And uh, if you really know Jesus, there's going to be some things that are evident in your life. Now, you go through seasons of life where there's a lot of fruit, you have other seasons where there's less fruit. You have seasons where if you're a follower of Jesus, you're abiding in Christ and you're growing. And so generally then, yeah, there's much fruit during those seasons. Would you agree? And then there's seasons where uh, maybe I'm the only person who struggles this way. I get my mind focused on me or on something else and I don't abide like I should. And suddenly the fruit is less and less and there's other fruit that shows up and it goes, oh, hey, Josh, <laughs> what's going on? You experience that? See, it's not that once you become a Christian that suddenly you're perfect and all this fruit gets bared out perfectly in your life. No, it's that uh, over time, Jesus is making you more like himself, bearing more and more fruit in your life. And the, the sins of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh are slowly decreasing while the fruit is generally increasing in your life over time. It's not that you never sin. It's not that you never struggle. But what's the overall trajectory of things in your life since trusting Jesus? Is there fruit? Is there evidence in your life? That's the evidence of a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> and you know, sometimes when there's, uh, you, you go into those seasons where there's not fruit or maybe you're not abiding, guess what God tends to do? The vine dresser comes along and he says, oh, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this and I'm going to throw this into the fire and I'm going to prune this back because it could bear more fruit. And how many of you are like, I love those days. Like, I love when God does that. You're a liar if you say that. The only reason you would is because you know what's on the other side. Because it's painful. But Hebrews 12 tells us that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And so during seasons of our life, God either directly provides pruning to our life or sometimes he allows circumstances that prune us. You know, like um, maybe uh, the circumstances limit our ability to gather in a large group or they force you to wear a mask in Menards. <laughs> right? <laughs> or worse yet, at church on a Sunday morning. But what's really happening there? 
Is God still in control? Completely. And what happens is as you prune some of these things away, you reveal what fruit's really there potentially, but also you're preparing for better fruit. See, I think the days we live in, we're, we're heading into a series now on the fruit of the Spirit because I'm really convinced that in these days, there's uh, nothing like a good pandemic to reveal the fruit in your life. You know? I mean, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's going to be really evident in these days as everything else is stripped away. Do you still have joy? Do you still have peace? How patient are you with people, with circumstances? Better yet, will you still have joy if your political candidate doesn't win the election this fall? See, the, the fruit of the Spirit, God prunes us and allows things to grow. It's not to say there's not hard days. It's not to say we don't still struggle. But the overall trajectory is after that pruning, see, we can rejoice in that because what we know is that God is faithful and that after the fact, life returns. And even though it looked like that, it begins to look like this, and now you're set up for even more fruitfulness in your life as you abide in the true vine. You know, this idea of fruit, Jesus talks about it, but it shows up all over in the Bible. It shows up even in the Old Testament. In Hosea, God says this in Hosea chapter 14. He says, it's I who answer and look after you. I'm like an evergreen cypress, and from me comes your fruit. See, the fruit we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is fruit that God produces in your life. It's fruit that he produces in you. Psalm 1 is another example in the Old Testament. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or, or sits in the seat of scoffers or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and in all that he does, he prospers. But, but really, the most oftentimes we see this metaphor of fruit is not in the Old Testament, but actually in the New Testament. And it's mentioned a lot by Jesus. It's mentioned by Paul. And uh, the most uh, well-known passage is the one we're in this morning uh, for part of our time, Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, Paul says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I would challenge you over the next few weeks, memorize those verses if you haven't yet. Use it as a way to pray that God would grow those things in you. But as, as we get going, even before we launch into it, I think it's important to understand a little bit of the context of what, who Paul's writing to. You know, the Galatians is a letter that Paul writes to the church of Galatia. And Galatia isn't a city, it's an area, so he's writing to a group of churches, actually, many of whom who had fallen into uh, tendencies of legalism. Do you know what legalism is? Legalism says, if I do this, and I do it well enough, and I do it enough, God will love me, and I'll earn his favor. 
Have you ever, maybe some of you, you, you grew up or have been a part of a church and have experienced that. If I, if I do enough good things, then God will love me. If you haven't, you've experienced it surely in our world because everything in our world seems to be this way too. If you dress the right way, if you talk the right way, if you know the right people, if you look the right way, if you eat the right things, if you don't eat the wrong things, then you'll be accepted, then you'll be loved. Do this for acceptance and for love. The gospel is totally opposite of that, though. The gospel says, no, Jesus did all of that for you, and he makes you new as you trust him, and then you live it out. It's not do this to earn God's favor. It's you have God's favor in Jesus Christ. Now go live it out. Let him bear fruit in your life. And fruit takes a long time to grow, have you noticed? It's going to be growing in your life for the rest of your life until you see Jesus face to face. But, but sadly, we all still fall into legalistic traps. It's kind of the default nature of who we are in our sinfulness. It's like our, in our independence, we, just, we, we, we want to earn God's favor. We want to get it all right. We want to, let me see if I can help you with an illustration of what legalism is like. See, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, how many of you, you'd look at some of these things, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and you go be like, ah, I, don't, I don't want that one. What a waste of time. Would you look at any of those and not say, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I think everybody would, wouldn't they? Those are good things to have in our life. And so what, what sometimes we tend to do is go, yeah, love, that's a good thing. You know what? I'm going to be more loving. And so uh, that's the fruit, right? So uh, I guess that means my life is like a tree. So I'm just going to work really hard and hang a little fruit of love on my life this week. I don't know if I can do it for a while, but I could do it for a couple days. And I muster it up within me and I love. And uh, then maybe uh, I, I hang uh, some joy. Oh, I need to be a little more joyful. And so I find some joy and I, I hang that fruit on the tree of my life. And, um, but my joy runs out and uh, then I get kind of grumpy. And you know what I really need right now? I need patience. I need patience. I just got to wait it out. But they keep uh, making the quarantine go longer, and so my patience is over, and I'm angry, and now I just need to be kind towards people. So for this week, I'm going to hang a little kindness on my life, and I get some kindness going, and, uh, but I'm still frustrated. I keep thinking about things I shouldn't, and a goodness. I'm just going to try to be good and try really hard to think about and do good things. So I hang some goodness on my life, and I was a little rough with people this week because my patience eventually wore out. And so I need to just go ahead and say what I think, but do it with gentleness. So I'm going to hang a little gentleness on my life, and the cycle continues. And legalism is doing all these things, mustering it up in yourself, and hanging fruit on your life. <clears throat> now, if you did that, and you did those things, is it noble? You could argue, sure. It's good to love, it's good to be joyful, it's good to be patient, good to be gentle and kind. But it's not enduring, and it's not really fruit. <laughs> it, it's just my own works. It's legalism. Legalism says, do this, and then you'll be like that. No. There's a difference between the fruit that hangs on a tree that's fake and fruit that really grows within you. Uh, this year for our anniversary, Hannah's slowly taking up gardening in our backyard. 
and we have a little, just this little strip along the house. And so she planted a few things last summer and a few more things this summer. And our anniversary was in May and I went and, and bought some blueberry bushes. We like blueberries. And so I got three bushes and we planted them back there in that area. And um, she's tended them over time and they're just young. So they're not producing a lot of fruit, but a, a couple different times this summer, we've gotten blueberries off of it. And uh, that is when Charlie doesn't eat them when he's out there playing because he likes to go over and see if there's blueberries and have a snack. But, you know, when the blueberries came off, I, I never once after we planted them, and I don't think Hannah did either, said, all right, you're a blueberry bush. Make some blueberries. Get at it. Start popping them out. Come on, you're not working hard enough there, little bush. Pump out the blueberries. Let's go. How did we get blueberries from that bush? They're good, too. Hannah watered it, fertilized it. We put some stuff down to get the Japanese beetles off of it after they ate half of them because they like blueberries or at least the leaves evidently too. And over time, after that soil was nurtured and they were rooted in it, they began to produce fruit. And my guess is that over time as they grow, they're going to produce more fruit. It's just a natural outcome of what a blueberry bush is. Well, in the same way, the natural outcome of somebody who's a follower of Jesus, who's, who's not just you know, going through the motions, but who's actually put their trust in Jesus Christ, as they abide in the vine, then, then these fruits slowly grow more and more evident in their life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all of them. And it's fruit that grows and springs up from within. You know, uh, as Paul writes this, he, he writes it in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, he's writing to churches that are struggling with legalism, with, um, with obeying all the rules, hanging fruit on their tree. But he says in verse 16 of chapter 5, Sorry, I got a little piece of blueberry still in my mouth. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Jesus says, abide in me. Walk by the Spirit. You won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. And he goes on and lists the deeds of the flesh. This is a somber list. Are you ready for it? He says, the deeds, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. But then uh, you're like, oh, I'm doing okay on those. I haven't done any sorcery this week. But listen, keep listening. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. He goes on and he says, uh, those who continue in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if they continue and never repent and turn to Jesus... Now, that, that's a scary list for me in those words because you look at it and you go, boy, so, some of those things I still see in my own life even though I've trusted Jesus. But again, it's not that after you trust Jesus, you're perfect. It's that as you trust Jesus, his fruit grows and those things hopefully are decreasing. As Jesus increases, those things decrease and you produce more and more fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, fruit here, uh, by the way, um, in English, 
Fruit can be plural or singular, can't it? Fruits isn't really a word. You get docked on your, if you talked about, you know, a number of fruits. Well, maybe it is, I don't know. But I've always learned fruit, plural. I'm probably failing in English right now. You can dock my pay later. But in Greek, which this was originally written, fruit was singular. Fruit can be plural in our, our mind, but in the Greek it's singular, meaning that all of these things happen together. It's like a bouquet of things that all come as one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And not only that, it's only God who can grow these fruits in you. You can hang them on your life all day, but ultimately the abiding true kind can only be grown by God. And only by abiding in Jesus Christ and staying close to him. See, uh, there's other fruits mentioned also in the Bible. Uh, beyond these, um, for example, uh, Hebrews talks about our sacrifice of praise being the fruit of our lips. Worship is a fruit. When you really worship the Lord. Uh, Romans 15, uh, Paul thanks people for a financial gift. And he says, for the fruit you've in you that I see growing. And giving is a fruit. Repentance, Jesus says, is a fruit. Leading someone to Christ is. And, and only God can grow these fruits. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 that you'll know people by their fruit. You'll know them. It's evidence. You know, have, have you ever gone on vacation and spent a lot of time in the sun? If, if you have light skin like I do, you may have gone on vacation before and come back and uh, you hadn't seen anybody in a week or two, and then they look at you and they go, you've been in the sun. How did they know that? Were they spying on me the whole time? <laughs> no, for the evidence from me being there, is just, it just naturally happened. How did I get a tan? Well, more of a sunburn, really, from abiding in the sun. And it's just seen on me. In the same way as you abide in Jesus Christ, those fruits begin to show up in your life. And it's, it's evidence of who you are in Jesus Christ. I wonder, what's the evidence of Jesus in you? Now, one last thing before we uh, take a little bit of time this morning and talk about the fruit of love. What's really curious, I've just said it uh, multiple times, that these things grow by the Holy Spirit working in us, by God working in us. He's the one who grows this fruit. But do you realize that every single one of those are also commanded of all of us in the Bible? Hold on, Josh, how's that work? You're saying I can only love by God growing love within me, yet I'm commanded to love. So like, how can I do that? Isn't that hanging fruit? That's a good observation, but do you know, uh, that's really the sum of our salvation too is things that we're commanded to do, but it's the Holy Spirit who works in us. For example, uh, uh, we're commanded to be born again and to trust Jesus Christ. But who's the one who actually gives us new life and makes us new and redeems us and rescues It's the Holy Spirit working in us. We're commanded to believe, but who's the one who helps us believe? It's the Spirit. We're commanded to confess Jesus as Lord, but who, who is the only ones who confess Jesus as Lord? Those who are filled uh, with the true Holy Spirit. Confess Christ for who he is. 
We're commanded to be obedient, but in our sanctification, it's the Holy Spirit who does those things in us. We're commanded to have these fruit, but ultimately, friends, yeah, there's some action on your part, but ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit working in you as you abide in Christ, and those things become evident in your life. That's why Paul commands us, I read it, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And then these fruit will become evident in you and through you. They'll be ever increasing and our sin will be ever decreasing. I wonder, uh, have you heard of a guy by the name of John Stott? Have you ever heard that name? I, I, I love this guy. He's, he's dead. He's been dead for about 10 years with the Lord. But uh, those who knew him personally often uh, said he's one of the most Christ-like men they'd ever known. He was a pastor in England. And it's curious, one of the things he would pray every day, he would pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to the Trinity. And listen to this prayer that he would pray every morning when he woke up. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Then he prayed to Jesus, Jesus, I pray that this day I might take up my cross and follow you. And finally, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you would fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? And he would go on then, that's why I challenge you to memorize this verse, he would go on to list each of those things before the Lord. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Before we dive into this first fruit, just for the last few minutes we have together today, I, I want to pray that for us. And that's my prayer for us as a church and, and for really uh, all Christians everywhere during these days, that the Holy Spirit would ripen his fruit in our life. That all the pruning we've had to face, Chosen or not, God can use it. Would you pray with me now? Then we're going to look at love for a little bit this morning. Father, uh, I pray that uh, you, by the power of your Spirit, would do exactly that. That in these days, you would cause us to be more like Jesus. That uh, you would allow our roots to go deep into your word, to, to abide in you so that you, you might fill us and grow uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. That you would grow love and joy and peace and patience. You'd ripen those things. Kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Jesus said in a, a day and age where uh, so many things are going on and you are, appear to be just shaking us and shaking our world to get our attention. I pray that uh, those who don't yet know you would be able to look at our lives and see the fruit of your spirit in us, that they would desire that as well. Help us to repent as we need to and where we need to and abide Jesus in you so that your fruit would grow to abundant harvest in each of our lives and in our church. Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things.
Amen. So in the last few minutes we have, let's talk briefly about love. Uh, you know, when, when Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit, there's no particular order to them other than the first one he lists. He lists love first. Why? Because love is primary. Love is, is the primary one. In fact, it's the greatest one. Pastor Dave uh, preached on love a few weeks ago. And you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably heard this. Paul talks about love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I get up here and preach and I don't have any love behind it or love growing in my life, then you're just like, oh, dude, I'm tired of listening to you drone on and on and rant and rave. <laughs> Maybe you are anyway, but he says, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You know, that is a huge statement. If I can do all these things but I don't have love, I'm nothing not like halfway there, not like doing okay. No, zero, <laughs> nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body even to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on to describe love. And by the way, I think uh, there's a good argument to be made that in uh, Galatians 5, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, that love is the fruit. Because remember I told you fruit is singular? And then that the rest of those all describe that love. There's no punctuation in the Greek, so it's just kind of this big run-on. And I think there's a good argument to be made that the rest of those actually define love. Could be. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. But then you read what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He goes on and he says, uh, chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Those are two fruits of the Spirit listed that we read, right? Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never, love never ends. It says prophecies, all these things, one day they're going to end, but love never fails. It never fails. It never ends. And the, the love he's talking about, maybe you've heard it said there's like different words used for love in the Greek. And one, this one here is agape, which means this, just this uh, abiding, faithful, uh, neighborly love. It's just the deepest and, and most virtuous. And, and love is at the top of the list. It's the first, it's primary in fact, love is mentioned uh, almost 550 times in the Bible, maybe even a few more. I don't remember off the top of my head as I looked that up this week, but, but it's mentioned a number of times all over the place. And Paul talks about it, but you know, Paul actually isn't, even though he penned the chapter on love, he's not the one who talks about love and specifically God's command for us to love the most in the Bible. You know who talks about it the most? Jesus' best friend, a guy named John, the Apostle John. And uh, John, in his gospel, uh, he records Jesus telling his disciples that he commanded them to love one another. At John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Boy, that's a big task, isn't it? 
How am I going to do that on my own? You're not. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to work in you to do that. But he, says, he goes on, Jesus says, by this, everyone then will know that you're my disciples. It's going to be evident if you love one another. He says in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then in verse 17, this is my command, love each other. And, but this isn't the only time John speaks of love and Jesus' command to love. He goes on, John writes some letters. And in his longest letter, 1 John, which is where we're going to be here just for a bit, he, he talks about God's command, Jesus' command for us to love others five different times. We're going to look at two of them today, but let me read the other three to you. A new command I give you, love, or sorry, uh, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. If anyone has material possessions, John, 1 John 3, 17 and 18, and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Chapter 3, verse 23, this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And then 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves and has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, if anything can be said to be central to the Christian life, it's love. In fact, when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders of his day and they asked him, trying to trap him, Hey, what's the most important command in all of Scripture? What did Jesus say? He said, well, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love who? Love your neighbor as yourself. Both of them love. Love God in that order. Love God so that you can love others and love others because you love God and because he loves you. And Jesus goes on then. He, he totally, totally silences these guys. And he says, in fact, if you do those two things, you accomplish everything that God has commanded of you. You fulfill the whole law if you love God and love your neighbor. Love is primary to the Christian faith. That's why there's a giant sign. We talk about love around here a lot, don't we? We use that word a lot. You are loved. You're loved by God and, and you're loved by us. But, but it's not just outward facing. It's also our mission, right? You know, our mission statement, we are sent to what? Love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And we're sent to love them even if they don't follow Jesus with us because it gives evidence for who God is. See, uh, love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, does not know God, because God is love. And love is primary and central, and it gives evidence. It's, it's evidence of life in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you, if you look at a tree, how do you know it's alive? Well, are there leaves on it? Are there buds? Is there sap running through it in the winter? Uh, there's some evidence of life, Right? Well, that evidence of life in a Christian is love and all of these fruit. I wonder, uh, what evidence is there of love in your life? If we were to take your Facebook profile or your Twitter feed, and I could just scroll through it here on the screen right now, 
What would the evidence point to? Love or something else? Some of you need to go and delete some Facebook posts, don't you? What's the evidence in your life of your love for God, of your abiding in Christ? Well, uh, the first thing we see here, we're going to do this quickly, but God is the source of love. He is the source of all love because John just told us love comes from God. So if I'm going to bear true fruit and not just hang it on my life, I, I need to abide in Jesus Christ and in his word so that, uh, that I grow. I need to root myself in this book. By the way, have you ever noticed our church logo, the little tree? Next time you see it, look at the bottom of the tree and see if you can see an outline of an open Bible. That's because we believe that it's all about Jesus and God wrote it all down and we want to be rooted in his word so that we would grow strong and be fruitful like a tree planted by streams of water. See, God, the source of love, he shows us his love most evidently through Jesus. He shows us his love through Jesus. Look at this as, as John continues on in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, that he would give us life. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Do you know what that word means? Do you use that word this week? How many of you are like, yeah, I said propitiation about five times at work this week, a couple emails. I doubt it. Maybe rock, teaching at Grace. The classroom only. Do you know what propitiation means? You probably don't hear that word very often. Propitiation means Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin on the cross. I have to use some things sometimes to remember things. Maybe this will be helpful to you. I think of it as propitiation that Jesus on the cross took the punch of God's wrath for sin and satisfied that wrath so that I could be born again and made new and begin to bear fruit in my life. And, and the evidence of God's love is Jesus and his work on the cross. See, God is the source of love and he shows us his love through Jesus. And finally, uh, as we continue, look at verse 11. First John 4. Verse 11 says this, Beloved, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It, it gives evidence for life, but it gives evidence also for God. Because we have to love one another. No one's seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, the point John's making here about God's love is not just to teach us atonement theology and to teach us big words like propitiation and oh, to teach us that God is love and have all these great intellectual thoughts. No, it's, it's actually to put it into action and to imitate Jesus and love one another. See, God's the source of love. He shows it to us in Jesus so that we might go and imitate it towards one another and towards the world. But friends, if you're going to grow that fruit of love, you've got to abide in Jesus Christ. Let's abide in him this week. Could you pray with me? Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. Thank you uh, for your love for us that's demonstrated in him. 
And Holy Spirit, I pray for those of us who trusted you that uh, you would grow and ripen your fruit in our lives. That over the coming weeks and in these days, you would show us uh, that we, we would, you would uh, work in us and it would it prove that we were, were your followers by the evidence of love and of joy and peace and patience and, and all of these fruit in our lives. I pray that not only for us, but for all followers of Jesus everywhere, Lord. And Father, I pray for those today who've heard this and uh, they, they recognize that they've just gone about life hanging fruit on their tree, never able to sustain it, but just kind of going through the motions, mustering it up as best they could in their own hearts. Friend, if that's you, it's really simple to become a follower of Jesus and to trust him. It's simply recognizing that you need a savior, that you can't do it on your own and repenting, which just means simply to turn, to change your mind and turn to Jesus. And if you would cry out to him and say, Jesus, save me, I need you. Fill me with your love. Receive me. He's faithful to do that. And he gives you his spirit and he begins to cultivate these fruits in your life. Holy Spirit, I pray you might do that work even today among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.